0: Remember when Canada's Prime Minister and Finance Minister told workers that they need to get used to job churn and precarious work, referring to the increasing prevalence of short-term, non-permanent jobs? With advice like that, is it any surprise that millennials might be approaching work differently than the past? Of course, work influences every part of our lives and is so connected to how we define ourselves in the world. That's why we're so obsessed with creating decent work. But if our expectations of work are being ground down so much, what is there to do? Drawing on her memories of growing up in a family where her dad had a union job at a car plant, New York Times op-ed contributor, writer for The Daily Show, and millennial herself, Kishana Kali, made the case for why millennials should lead the labor movement. You know, unions and stuff. Even though my parents didn't have union jobs growing up, it was a message I could relate to. People like me, Kali writes who have mental museums filled with memories of the stability that came with our parents' union jobs, could be the perfect leaders of the next labor union renaissance. She continues, We millennials, many of whom entered the workforce during the last recession, have borne the brunt of the country's recent decline in employment quality, with lower wages, diminishing benefits, and the presence of non-compete clauses that hurt even entry-level employees from finding subsequent jobs. She ends by reminding us that though her dad's union newsletters may have faded, their message about the value of jobs that provide a fair wage, reasonable conditions, and the ability to care for a family is as timely now as it ever was. Pretty compelling stuff. In this episode, we're taking a hard look at the idea that millennials work to live rather than live to work, and taking a peek into the role of young people in the labor movement. I'm Asma Malik, and this is Avocado Toast a podcast from the Atkinson Foundation. From researchers to activists to people who are living it, we want to build the movement towards decent work everywhere. Millennial myths, prepare to be busted. Tanara Yelland is a freelance writer and editor who has written for Vice, Torontoist, This Magazine... Britain Co., Now Magazine, Maison Neuve Magazine, and Patch. She was part of the union drive for Vice Canada, and she writes about politics, economics, and pop culture. Here's my conversation with Tanara.
1: My name is Tanara Yelland. I'm a journalist, I'm an editor, and I do some freelance writing. I guess I'm from Saskatoon originally, but I've lived in Toronto for about four and a half years.
0: Can you characterize the work experiences that you've had in life so far? It would be great to hear about what that journey has been and maybe even starting with what your first job was. Sure. My first job
1: was in the photo lab at Superstore when I was 16, which is not a job that exists anymore. I don't think. It was unionized, which was very cool. I mean, they didn't make a big deal out of it. They didn't really expect their part-time workers to be union activists, but just having that experience of during orientation, having someone say, you're unionized, we're taking a small amount of your paycheck, every paycheck for union dues, and here's a few things the union does for you. I've always been supportive of unions, but That also, I think, was another part of that step. And my second job was at Walmart, which obviously was not unionized. And during orientation, the person who was training us, it was a group of teens being trained, and she seemed to really relish telling us that we weren't unionized and seemed to think that we would all be happy about that. I remember her leaning in and saying, you know, we're not unionized here, so you don't have to pay any of those pesky union dues, and I didn't say anything, so I don't think she knew, but I was just sitting there and I was like, I know that unions do more than take money out of your paycheck, so.
0: How did the rest of the group react?
1: I don't think anybody else cared, really. It didn't seem to register one way or the other. That job was not great, and I think a union probably would have made it much better, I started working at Vice Canada in December 2014, and that was right when it started expanding quite a bit, so it was quite small when I started working there, and they started adding staff very rapidly. And in June 2015, I believe, was when Gawker in New York launched their union bid, and it was very public, as most things Gawker did were, they sort of had what would normally be very close to the vest internal debates, not only publicly, but on their website for everyone to see. And I think for a lot of other people in media, it had the exact impact that people at Gawker were hoping it would, which was that uh, it reminded people that unions exist and that you can actually start one at your workplace. As I mentioned, I've always been sort of pro-union, but before that happened, I had never considered that I could make a union happen. And then when I saw that taking place, I thought, oh, I could do that here. Even if you're perfectly happy with your job, unions are really the only way to ensure that workers have some say in the workplace. They're a democratizing force, and they're really the only counterbalance to the boss. It's as important, I think, to try to unionize when things are going well because they won't always go well. I started talking to some of my coworkers, and we decided that we wanted to unionize and we had several meetings where we sort of slowly added to our group and talked about how we would even do this because we didn't, really have I think one person in the group had some organizing experience, but for most of us, this was brand new, so we didn't even really know what to do. Like I think at one meeting we were like, I guess we should call some unions and talk to them. (laughs) So we met with representatives, and after doing that and talking about it, we decided to go with CMG. At that point, thankfully, we had some experienced organizers from the union come in and say, here are some ideas for how to go beyond having cathartic meetings at bars, which were wonderful, but not really going to get us all the way to having a union and a contract.
0: Did did the nature of the work make it challenging? So a new media organization growing really rapidly to me, that sounds like there are, you know, contract employees or people working for short amounts of time. Like, did that impact how you could engage, get to know uh, folks for, the, for, you know, to actually organize?
1: Yeah, it definitely did. Uh, there was a lot of contract work on the video side, again, which I think might have also made it more difficult to get to know people. Most of the editorial people were permanent staff. So we sort of knew each other, but a lot of the video people sort of... Uh, cycled in and out and would also be on location on shoots, so it was more difficult to get to know them. And then once we started approaching people to ask them if they wanted to sign cards, there were a few different people who were interested in signing cards but would say, you know, I don't know if my card would count because I'm a contract employee. A card is when you want to file with the labor board for union certification you need to get, I believe, 40% of eligible workers to sign a card that essentially says, I'm Tanara Yelland, and I want my workplace to have a vote on if we should unionize. I actually left Vice fairly early on in the organizing drive, so I didn't end up doing a lot of card signings, and most of the ones I did were people that I thought would be open to signing cards. I did speak to one person who was interested and was supportive of the idea but was very concerned because they had experience and had not first-hand experience but had observed some very contentious union fights and even though the card is supposed to be anonymous in the sense that only the person who signs, the person who collects the card and maybe one organizer at the union will see that they've signed it. Management should never see those cards. Um, It's still a very present worry for a lot of people and with good reason. Um, And this person was concerned about putting their name to anything, even though they were supportive. There were also a few people I spoke to who didn't know that their cards would count because they were contract employees. But most people were curious. A lot of young people don't have a lot of experience with unions and don't really know, especially with the organizing process, don't really know how it works. So a lot of people had a lot of questions but were receptive to it. It is incredibly empowering to be involved in that kind of thing in a sense that I think you only realize when you are involved. The very fact of sitting in a group and talking together and going, oh, you think that should change i thought that should change i thought i might have been the only one i thought maybe i just wasn't tough enough that that was bothering me but everybody at this table thinks that that's a bit of a problem it just makes you feel more empowered to come back to that word
0: and i guess you know with with all of this this experience that you have the kind of trend that we are seeing in digital media workplaces as you described them towards unionization What do you think it means for the future of the labor movement? And what do you think, you know, if we had legislators, policymakers in front of us now, what would you want to tell them needs to change in order to make that even more possible?
1: One thing that I don't know if it's being discussed very much, but I think considering a return to unions that you can maintain a membership in, even when you leave a particular job, So something like the Industrial Workers of the World, which was a very powerful large union in the early decades of the 20th century and still exists but isn't considered uh, as much of a force. Because there's so much precarious work, contract work, people might uh, work a contract at Vice and then at CBC and then somewhere else. If you have to join a particular union, First three or six months at a time, you might not see why that union is working for you. And sometimes it might not be working for you to the best of its ability and to the degree to which you need it. And that also goes for workers in other sectors, people working in retail and the service sector often work several jobs and move between jobs. So the idea of having unions that you can be represented by based on industry, maybe, or something else, as opposed to being tied to a specific job or a specific workplace, is, I think, something that should be considered very seriously um, because it as much as we would like it to, it doesn't really seem like contract work and precarious work are going away anytime soon.
0: So I want to ask you, when you think of the term decent work, what does that mean to you? To me, decent work means working an amount of time
1: that doesn't impede in your ability to have a life. So 40 hours would be, I think, the upper end of that. And because productivity... Worker productivity has been going up, but wages haven't been going up with it. So the idea that we could have a shorter work week is very possible. It's very much a reality. Even though that's not being reflected, workers are working more for lower wages. But I think decent work would involve 40 hour or 35 or 30 hour work week with wages on which you could support yourself in any city in the country comfortably and not having to worry about cobbling together two or three or four jobs and being able to save for vacation or for retirement or whatever you need. Being comfortable that you're not gonna lose your job and that you're not gonna be out in the cold when you age out of working.
0: Thanks so much Tanara and where where can we find you online and where can we find your work? I'm on Twitter at T Yelland, T-Y-E-L-L-A-N-D,
1: and I write for Torontoist, Torontoist torontoist.com a fair bit, and I link to my other work on Twitter.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Ahmed Gayed is the executive vice president of the Ontario Federation of Labor, Canada's largest provincial labor federation. At 33, he was the youngest officer in the organization's 58-year history. A longtime activist and community advocate, Ahmed is an ardent supporter of grassroots and worker-led initiatives. He's also a worker of color and a proud member of the Muslim community in Toronto. I spoke to Ahmed about the future of the labor movement.
2: My name is Ahmed Gayed. I am the Executive Vice President of the Ontario Federation of Labor. The uh, Ontario Federation of Labor is the umbrella organization uh, for the labor movement here in the province. There's a number of unions in the province, and we represent uh, 54 of those unions, uh, which encompasses uh, approximately a million workers. Um, And we represent these unionized workers in their workplaces. Uh, We push for legislative changes. Um, to benefit workers, but not just unionized workers. We also represent uh, non-unionized workers here in the province as well, and we advocate on uh, their behalf as well. Before I was elected um, at the OFL, I was uh, a member of a union uh, called UFCW, the United Food and Commercial Workers uh, Local 1006A. I was a retail worker before that. As a younger person, I didn't necessarily know, uh, I I worked in a unionized facility, I didn't necessarily know what uh, unions stood for, what their values were, Um, I didn't really understand the protections and uh, the value that unions brought to workers until I needed the unions assistance. It was through that experience when I was being disadvantaged by my employer, that uh, I sort of learned the value of what a union was. My uh, union rep, at the time, took the opportunity to uh, educate me. um, And when I saw the values and the strength that comes with belonging to a union, I I got more involved within my union. I ended up becoming an activist, a shop steward, you know, somebody who works in the, the facility, who... I guess is the connection you can say between one's union and the workplace. There's somebody who gets um additional trainings how to handle tough meetings maybe with the employer when they're trying to discipline a a, a coworker and you're there to sort of mediate in between, do investigations and uh, help out your fellow coworkers our staff rep who would come into the store, conduct investigations, part of their role should be to give face time to to members, to let them know what's going on in their union, to let them know uh, what programs exist, uh, to talk to them about uh, scholarships that our our union offered for them to go to post-secondary, to to continue post-secondary education. People believe that uh, unions are just simply there to protect the members. And I can say that that's not true. Unions are there to uh, participate uh, also in those members' communities uh, to uh, assist them outside of their workplace. Um, you know, increasing uh, tuition fees really affect young people, and uh, our union um, saw that. You know, by providing a scholarship, they can assist their members in pursuing you know other aspirations that they may have outside of that workplace. Unions also participate and pushes for legislative change like uh, employment standards um, here in the province. So. Young people can be leaders and are leaders, um, and they should be leading uh, this fight for decent work uh, in the province. They're the most educated group of young people in history, yet when they graduate, those jobs that they should be graduating to, that they trained themselves for, that they invested uh, in themselves for, they don't exist. So um, they need to be fighting for decent work. They need to be uh, creating conditions that, uh, you know, provide them with opportunities opportunity uh, and provide opportunity for those that come after them as well.
0: Unionizing a workplace is is not easy, right? It is uh it is a process right now that has several steps and, you know, if you're someone like like you were in in a workplace that wasn't unionized and just learning the ropes, it can be very challenging and um you know what advice would you have to give uh, to young people who recognize uh, that their workplace is not uh, ideal that it could do a lot better that you they could have better employment more say in the way their workplace is run what what are the steps that that you would advice that they take what questions should they be asking
2: well a lot of times uh, what promotes people to join a union is the conditions in their workplace uh, aren't so pleasant they might find that they're they've been working there for a number of years yet um, you know that experience is not recognized uh, their hours are being cut back uh, they're not being a, a recognized for uh, their length of service in terms of their compensation uh, they might not have benefits and maybe a newer employee uh, maybe a, a favorite by management is is, is is doing a little bit better than they are in their workplace so uh, to create fairness a lot of uh, workers end up joining a union you might join a union because of uh, health and safety issues or concerns that uh, happen in your workplace uh, unions play a pivotal role in increasing uh, uh, safety in a workplace as well by being uh, coming in and, and, and helping stewards monitor the situation. I would tell a, a younger person that if you don't uh, uh, like the conditions in your workplace to join a
0: Union. what would be the first step I uh, guess because that is putting a lot on the line it's, yeah. it sounds like uh, from young people who have uh, have kind of taken that first step that leap have talked to their uh their colleagues and identified yeah. that things are could be better, better? Absolutely. Uh, what what is that next step and what what support or resources are there out there that they can access?
2: Well, the first thing is to find a union that best fits or represents your industry that you might work in, and it's a very simple call. You'd probably speak to an organizer. They'd let you know that uh, what the process is in joining a union, and I can tell you that here in Ontario, it's 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 a right that's covered under the uh, Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, but it's one of those rights that's uh, difficult to exercise, and that's because employers uh, may make the conditions really difficult Uh, you know uh, labor law is tipped in 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 the favor of employers uh, when it comes to joining a union Uh, there's what we call an unfair vote that takes place Um, but when you want to join a union uh, you sign a union card make uh, indicating that you want to join a union and we believe that in this province something called card check certifications should exist when a majority of workers in a workplace sign that union card saying they want to be represented by a union that should be good enough but Currently, you have to uh, achieve that minimum threshold of 40% of uh, workers in that workplace to sign a union card. And what happens is you would put in an application to the labor board. The labor board then, after seven days, comes into your workplace and conducts a vote. But in that week, uh, some have deemed it to be the week of terror, <laughs> the employer Ends up having one-on-one meetings. Workers demanding uh, to know who signed a union card, who is involved, who are the key people who want a union. Um, a lot of times, uh, employers will interfere with the election process. They were they will intimidate and coerce people to uh, vote vote no for the union, even though they've already indicated that they do want to join a union. But long story short, they interfere with the process. In ca- some cases, um, those workers were denied their right to join a union and the union could then go to the labor board and ask for them to, uh, you know, investigate and to overturn uh, the decision of the vote because there was interference or to conduct another vote. But uh, by that point, um, the damage is done. Workers are scared. Workers are intimidated, and they no longer want to have that representation or have anything to do, to do with the union um, because they're they're scared to death. Uh, it might be their 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 first experience with a union, and it's, it's not pleasant because of what the employer did. So it's very hard to remedy that type of situation. Um, When young people, uh, when workers come to the government uh, saying they want car check certification, telling their story about how they were denied the right to be represented by a union, how there was employer interference, I think that makes the biggest difference, Um, sharing their experiences uh, and also sharing about uh, what their struggle currently looks like with their working conditions. Um, Minimum standards uh, uh, are, are not... Uh, good enough for workers in this province. labor law reform is long overdue Um, we've made some strides but there's uh, more that we can still do and and push for card check certification being one of those
0: it sounds like also more young younger worker leadership in organizations like the ontario federation of labor where you are able to have that big picture view and um, be supports for that sort of advocacy i was really inspired to be at the young workers assembly and to hear the discussion the room was totally packed I guess when I did have some one-on-one conversations with younger workers, there was a lot of enthusiasm and optimism about their roles, their organizing as young people together in a union. But they also expressed some of those barriers within unions to access uh, or even put themselves forward for leadership positions. I think many of them had experiences like yours where older workers, more experienced workers encouraged them and brought them along. But I heard a lot that also had the experience where their ambition, uh, their, their uh, indications of uh, seeking leadership was seen also as a, as a threat to existing uh, leadership. And, you know, from, from your experience and from what you've seen, can you speak to that? And I guess, you know, we know that employers are going to uh, defend their interests, but some of the challenges to young people also seem like they're internal and with people who uh, who share their big vision.
2: Absolutely. Uh, young people, I will tell you, are not going to be handed anything. You're going to have to fight for it, whether you're fighting for it uh, with employers or whether you're pushing for it within your union. You have to create that space, and it's good if you have that support within your union for others to help you create that space and create a safe space for you to to grow as a leader. You know, it's it's good to um, to have those ambitions to grow as leaders within your union, but you also have to be able to learn from those that are, you know, differently experienced as well. Some could feel threatened that, you know, there's another generation of people growing, they're 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 going to push me out. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think there should be succession planning that takes place because eventually um, older workers are going to have to retire. Eventually leaders within our labor movement uh, will retire. And you want to have somebody around to continue uh, that advocacy, to continue that fight uh, and that push that workers need in this province. So I think there needs, uh, you know, leaders in this province of of all unions need to take succession planning really seriously. You need to look at the next generation that's coming up, keep them around. Yes, you have experiences. You need to share those experiences with millennials, with young workers. And, you know, one day, you know, you hand the reins over to to somebody else to, to continue that fight.
0: How can people still be involved and, and engage with the incredible movement that's been built and to ensure that we don't lose ground on those uh, on those changes? So.
2: Well, we have a number of changes. I guess the focus has been on uh, the increase in minimum wage, but that's not the only change that's happened. We had uh, a, a, our major flagship campaign called Make It Fair, which was our push uh, to change labor law here in the province. Um, you know, it was a campaign that lasted uh, approximately two Two years, and we're sort of at the tail end of it now. But we're, we're still pushing to improve labor standards here in the province. The student movement itself, I, I think, played a pivotal role um, over the course of the last two years during our campaign, where uh, you had uh, young university students um, from uh, York University who came to the assistance of uh, cafeteria workers who were pushing for a you know a fifteen dollar minimum wage, which I think was a pivotal point here in the province um, because we knew um, you know this government found out that you know what this is something that many young people are struggling and dealing with as well we are seeing now also a a general minimum wage being applied right across this province Uh, by 2019 we'll see a 15 dollars minimum wage uh, paid to every worker in this province with some exceptions when you look at who is being paid these minimum wages um it's young people it's Millennials um, it's people with education it's single mothers people of color people from various equity groups you are uh, raising the standard of their living uh, to a place where they can afford to uh, you know start the beginning of their lives you know uh, start a, a family um, a lot of people are finding it tough uh, a lot of young people are finding it tough to uh, start the beginning of, of their life um, you know they're, Uh, postponing things like starting a family, for example, or moving out of their parents' basement or their parents' home. Um, so when you're raising them out of poverty, they are able to contribute in a way which will benefit our economy, which will benefit businesses. They have more disposable income that they will probably spend locally, um, which you know governments also will benefit from as well because they collect income taxes from that as well. Um, there are myths that some say young people spend their money frivolously, but young people have bills to pay as well. Um, Education's not free. They want to start their lives. They want to move out of their parents' home, and uh, so on and so forth. So by, um, getting a $15 minimum wage, they will uh, now be able to do that. You know, there was two simultaneous uh, campaigns happening at the same time. The fight for 15 and fairness was more of the public face of the campaign. And the uh, make it fair campaign was the internal campaign aimed at uh, mobilizing union members um, as we pushed for uh, labor law reform on the Uh, more on the uh, labor relations act as well but we we pushed on both but yeah there's ways they can get involved um, whether it means um, you know lobbying politicians we provide training on that anyone can do it anyone can tell a story and tell about tell uh, you know officials about uh, what their experience or struggle is yeah
0: well thanks emma then where can where can folks find you
2: uh, I'm at the OFL. If, uh, if you want to engage with me personally, you can find me on social media, Twitter or Facebook. That's Ahmed Gayid, OFL. That's my handle on Twitter. And how do you spell that? That's A H M A D G A I E D O F L. OFL or uh, you can email directly. I'm always happy to engage with young people. Uh, when I was younger, I sometimes found it challenging to engage with leadership, but uh, I'll, I'll give you my email right here. It's uh, agaied at ofl.ca. Feel free to uh, drop me an email or uh, call, call us at our headquarters, and uh, I'll, I'll make sure that I, uh, um, I make myself available.
0: Millennials are not taking the changing expectations of work lightly. Using their voice, their collective power, and tools of union organizing, they're making decent work a reality. Thanks for listening. On the next podcast, we'll unpack the myth that millennials want flexibility above all else in their work. Avocado Toast is produced by Katie Jensen, with production assistance from Yasmin Maturin, It's hosted by me, Asma Malik. You can find our show notes at atkinsonfoundation.ca slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at AtkinsonCF. Avocado Toast is the first podcast series on Atkinson's Just Work It platform for and by millennial workers.